as Julie already said, my name is Ellis, and I'm one of the pastors here. And this week, I hope you all had a wonderful Thanksgiving with your friends and family. Someone asked me this week whether the Brits celebrate Thanksgiving, and I just laughed at them. And then I said, of course, we celebrate it every year on the 4th of July. Well, we're starting this new sermon series for Advent, but before we do, I just want to take a moment to reflect back on our last sermon series called For Your Neighbors. We were talking about what it means to love our literal next door to us, neighbors, and I asked you if, if you'd care to submit stories of how you've been doing that, of how God's been turning your heart outwards to love your neighbors. And we had some stories submitted this week. I want to start by uh, celebrating a little bit and sharing one of these stories. So there was a, a woman who says she's, she's kind of already been doing this. She's been hosting open houses at Christmas for her neighbors the last several years, but she felt that she was being called to do something a little bit more regular even than that. And so she started hosting monthly coffee mornings where she invites her neighbors. And she kind of gave herself a pat on the back and went, aren't I great? And I'm probably done now. And then she writes this. Last week, I received an email along with everyone else on the street from a fairly new neighbor asking if, they could, if anyone could drive their two kids to the bus stop every morning. I knew right away that this was from God and for me I responded with a yes, and we'll start dropping off the kids next week. That's awesome. And we love hearing the stories of how God has been at work through you showing love to your neighbors. And we'd, we'd love to keep hearing those stories. So the map is still out there. You can still stick stickers on the map. Right next to the map are some pieces of paper where you can write down how God has been using you in your neighborhood. Put that in the basket. And if you would prefer to, you can email your story to communications at chapelhillpc.org. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to celebrate what God is doing through us as a church. Well, I kind of half joked last week that maybe the neighboring series feels like you're being asked to put on a super neighbor cape and start flying around the neighborhood. But as I reflected upon this time of year, I realized that around this season of the year, I tend to start acting a bit like I have superhuman abilities. I mean, there's, there's a lot of pressure, a lot of stress, a lot of expectations from others, from myself, and, and, and I tend to start kind of pushing myself perhaps a little bit harder than my body is meant to go. And, and I know that I'm doing this because my body likes to tell me that I'm doing this. In fact, this, this time last year, I was um, about three months into a sore throat. I'd had it for three months. It was agony to get up and sing every weekend. And it turned out that I had acid reflux. And then this time two years ago, I was stuck in England. We were wondering if we were ever going to get a visa to come back here. And I got kidney stones. Fantastic, if you've ever had them. Three years ago, this time three years ago, I'm telling you, every year, three years ago this time, I was finishing off my seminary and I broke out in a rash all over my torso. The only saving grace was that each bit of the rash looked like a Christmas tree. In fact, I I took a selfie from my doctor and he just texted back and said, Merry Christmas. You know, I I tend to kind of go into overdrive at this time of year. I don't know if anyone else feels the same way with all of the expectations that are placed upon us. It's almost like I think I'm a superhero. It's like I think I have superhuman powers. And we wanted to take some time 
this Advent to remember that the reality is we don't have superhuman powers. And there was only one person who ever did. And that is Jesus. In college, I majored in mathematics, and still to this day, there are mathematical symbols that I'll use when I'm taking notes on things. And we thought there was one mathematical symbol which would kind of encapsulate the message that we wanted to uh, preach out of the Bible for this Advent series, and that is this symbol. It's an equal sign with a diagonal line through it, and it means is not equal to or does not equal. And we're entitling this series, I am not equal to him. I am not equal to him. Because we need to be reminded, I think, even, even more so at this time of year, that we're not equal to Jesus. That's who the hymn is in that title. We need to be reminded that there's only one person who's the light in the darkness, who is the hope to the hopeless, who is the peace to the restless, who is the joy to those who are in mourning. And that's Jesus. And you and I do not equal him. And we're going to journey through the first chapter of of John's gospel, one of the accounts of Jesus's life as we do this. And and the reason we're going to do this is because John, who's writing, kind of paints a picture of of two different men. And he he paints them in, in parallel, almost to contrast them. One is Jesus, and he paints this incredible picture of who Jesus is, right from the beginning of time up until him coming to earth. And then the other person he talks about is Jesus' cousin, who, who also has the name John. And John, this John, we normally call him the Baptist, he knew that he was not equal to Jesus. He really lived this out in his life. And so we're going to start today at the beginning In John 1, verse 1, and I'm going to be reading to you. You can uh, grab your Bibles or Bible apps if you want to follow along. It's going to be on the screens too, so you can look up there. Verse 1 of John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Would you pray with me? Lord, I ask this morning that as we dig into these ancient words, that they would be relevant to us today in a way that uh, brings us life, that encourages us, and that enables us to participate in the mission that you have for this world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Bible scholars refer to this first chapter of John as the prologue because it acts as such. It's like a separate introductory section to John's account of Jesus's life. And John goes way, 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 way back to the beginning, before creation, before even time itself, when he begins this prologue. And he starts by introducing us to this person, or perhaps it's an entity, we're not sure really as we're reading it, called the Word. And in Greek, the word that he uses is is logos. And if you haven't read John's Gospel before, then, then you may be wondering, who is this Word that we're talking about? Well, I'm going to spoil the surprise for you this morning, but you only have to read a few verses ahead to find it out. This Word is Jesus. 
Jesus is the Word. And John tells us that in the very, very beginning of time, Jesus already existed, that Jesus was with God. In fact, Jesus was God himself. And that when things were created, when the universe came into being, everything was created through Jesus. There was, there was nothing that was made that didn't come through him. He describes Jesus as the, the life light, as one translator puts it. He, he's like this light breaking into the darkness, which brings life where there wasn't any life before. And John is kind of building his way through this. It's, it's kind of, uh, feels like it's crescendoing. In fact, many scholars think that this was a hymn that the church was singing at that time. And John put it into his gospel. And it feels like it's building and building and building. And, and it's going to become even more marvelous and, and amazing. The revelations of, of who this word is, is, is going to be spectacular. And then all of a sudden, John gets distracted. Or at least it feels like that. It actually reminds me of a scene in the Disney Pixar movie Up. Take a look. Hi there. Did that dog just say hi there? Oh, yes. My name is Doug. I have just met you, and I love you. My master made me this collar. He is a good and smart master, and he made me this collar so that I may talk, squirrel. It's like, and I'm going to read it in a second, you'll see it. It's like the writer has this squirrel moment. He's building, 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 crescendo. All the focus is on Jesus. And then, whoop. Who's this guy, John, who he's talking about now? I, hang, I thought we were talking. Let me read it to you. I'll go back in verse 3 so we can kind of pick it up and follow it through. All things were made through him. That's through the word. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness, to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. It's, it's almost like he has this squirrel moment as, as he's going through, like, like he gets distracted somewhat. And, and just to be clear what's going on here, we've got two Johns at play, and that might be a little bit confusing. You, you've got John the Apostle, one of Jesus' 12 disciples. He's the one who's writing, okay? And, and he's talking about Jesus, and then he has a squirrel moment, and he starts talking about John, Jesus' cousin, who we call John the Baptist. Although he never actually calls him John the Baptist in this gospel, he just calls him John. So two Johns, and, and this John the Apostle, he's getting all distracted. Or, or is he? Well, actually, we, we discovered as we were studying this in, in the past few weeks that there are four squirrel moments in this first chapter alone. Four moments where it kind of feels like John the Apostle goes, whoo, and faces the other direction. And we want to look at each of them over the coming weeks. And as we studied this, we, we began to think, I mean, what's going on here is... Is this guy like an Enneagram type 7 who's just looking everywhere? Maybe he has undiagnosed ADHD or something like that. No. We thought maybe there's a reason for this. Maybe there's something really intentional going on here. And we think there is. We think that what John the Apostle is doing here is he's trying to draw a comparison between Jesus and John the Baptist. And today I really want to hone in on what he says in verse 8, where he draws this comparison. He says, He, that's John the Baptist, was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The writer, John, is trying to help us see that that 
John the Baptist, as, as great as he was, as awesome as he was, in fact, he was so great that Jesus called him the goat. Like literally, the greatest of all time, goat. Jesus said, this is what he said, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the goat, according to Jesus, circa like 30 AD. But even John is not equal to Jesus. And that's the point that the writer is trying to make to us here. And so John is not equal to Jesus, but who is he? Who is this John? Well, the description that is used at least six times in this first chapter of John the Baptist is that of the witness. John was a witness. Now, a witness is is someone who sees an event taking place and they are asked to bear testimony to that event to people who weren't at that event. It's, it's actually a little bit like being a mirror. You're asked to reflect a series of events that you've seen back to a group of people who haven't seen them. John came to bear witness, this text says, to the light. John was not the light, but he came to bear witness to the light, to act like a mirror. It's it's actually a little bit like this. You see that? You know, this this mirror, which is like John, it it has no light-bearing power in and of itself. And yet, when I position it just right in this spotlight here, it has the ability to reflect the light, almost as if this mirror is like the light itself. In fact, we, we see this in, in nature, in creation. This mirror is like the moon. The moon is just a lump of rock. The moon actually doesn't have any light-bearing power in and of itself. But in the darkness of night, the moon has the ability to reflect the light of the sun. The moon becomes the light, becomes the light of the world in the darkness at night. But not because it has any light-bearing power, just because it reflects the light. It bears witness to the light. John is like a mirror. John is like the moon. Jesus is the spotlight. Jesus is is the sun. Jesus is the true light. But John bears witness to Jesus, reflects his light into the darkness of the world. John is not equal to the light. John is just a witness to the light. And I want to suggest that the same is true of us. You and I are not equal to the light. Now, you might say, hang on, Alice, I thought in another place, Jesus said, you are the light of the world to his followers. And you'd be right. Jesus does say that in the Sermon on the Mount. So then you might say, Ellis, how can we be not equal to the light and yet at the same time be the light of the world? I want to say it's, it's just like the moon. In the darkness of night, the moon is the light of the world. There is no sun at night. But yet the moon is not the light. The moon doesn't have light-bearing power in and of itself. And yet, it is the light of the world. 
In the same way, John is not the light. You are not the light. I am not the light. We're merely witnesses to the light. And yet, if we are good witnesses to the light, we light up the world in which we find ourselves. We light up the darkness. We are the light of the world as we bear witness to the true light. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah? You tracking with me? Yeah? Okay, good. So if this is true, if it's true that, that we're not the light, but, but we are witnesses to the light, that means we have an immense privilege and an immense responsibility to reflect the light of Jesus into the darkness of the world around us. And so how do we go about doing that? Well, I want to suggest two things that we need to do. The first is to be present to Jesus, and the second is to be present to others. Let's start with that first one, be present to Jesus. You know, unless I got this mirror right in that little tiny spotlight, I wasn't able to reflect the light. It didn't work out here. It only worked back here when it was in the light. We can't bear witness to the light unless we are in the light. I'm reminded of Moses, who was the leader of God's people. He, he, he was leading them hundreds of years before Jesus was born. And at one point, he went up onto a mountain, Mount Sinai, and he met with God. He entered into the presence of God. And when he came back down, the people of God said that his face was shining. It was, it was glowing with the, with the radiance of God's glory. I believe that when we spend time in the presence of God, the result is that we will naturally reflect the light. Now, in Moses' time, there was only one person who was allowed to go into the presence of God. And in fact, the law he received on that mountain said that they could only do it one time a year and they could only do it in one place. And the reason was that the sin of the people was too great. If they just walked into God's presence as they were, they would not have been able to stand up to his glory and his majesty and his holiness. And so they had to make a ton of sacrifices and they had to remove that sin in order for one person once a year in one place to enter into the presence of God. But here's the awesome news for those of us who are living today. Jesus was a once and for all sacrifice for all of our sin. One time a sacrifice was made for us and it covers every single one of our sins. And that means that any of us at any time in any place can enter into the presence of God. This is incredible. This is astounding. And yet I think for many of us, we take it for granted. And perhaps we even neglect to take God up on the privilege that we have. I think we're so busy as a culture. We're, we're, we're so busy with some, some things are important, some things are good, but, but some things are just, they're just taking up our time, like scrolling through social media or, or Netflix binging. There's, there's just things that are filling up our life. And, and unless we specifically set aside time, make time to go and be in God's presence, it, it just doesn't happen. We have to be intentional if we're going to spend time in the presence of God. 
Now, I'm, I'm a big believer and a big fan of something that I was brought up being told was called the quiet time. It was this time in the morning before everyone else was up when you took yourself off to a quiet place in the house, you got your Bible, you started reading it. And you started praying to God and you just took that time in the morning to be in the presence of God. I'm a a big believer in this. And I think this is something that we can so easily neglect in our life. We can come to church on a weekend, but then the rest of the week, it's, it's almost like, well, here and there, I'll shoot up a little arrow prayer to God. But we don't always spend time daily in his presence. This season is is Advent. Traditionally for the church, this has been a season when the the church has set aside time to pray and fast and prepare themselves for the coming of Jesus. And I wonder if there's something in that that we need to practice in this season. I know it's busy. I know it's full of pressures. I know it's full of stress. But I wonder if in this season of Advent, God might be calling us to take time to just be in his presence. Be with him. You know, if we aren't in the presence of the light, if we're a mirror and we're not in the light, we can't reflect the light. If we are to be the light of the world, if we are to be a witness to the light, we must spend time in the presence of the light, in the presence of Jesus. So that's the first thing. Be present to Jesus. And second, be present to others. I think for many people, Christmas can be a very difficult and even dark season. Christmas brings with it many memories. Some people have painful memories. Some people have have good memories that they know they're never going to get back because of loss or separation. For many people, this can be a really hard time of year. There are many people who feel like they're in the darkness at this time of year. People who feel like they're they're longing for light to break in. They're longing for light at the end of the tunnel to pull them out of where they are. And I know that for myself... When I meet someone who's in that place, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm so desperate for them to be happy and I kind of like stumble all over their hurt and pain. I, I, I kind of give them these words of advice that in hindsight, I'm like, why did I say that? Like things like, oh, don't worry that the best is yet to come or God works all things together for good. God has a plan for you. Things like that that are true, but really to someone who's hurting, to someone who's in pain, they're not helpful. Sometimes, and I'm really adept at this, I'll even jump in and I'll I'll start to try and solve their problem. I'll tell them, well, I think you should probably do this or, or you should do that or speak to that person. And again, it's 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 not helpful. In fact, when when I do those things, what I've realized is I'm, I'm actually, I'm not reflecting the light. I'm, I'm trying to be the light. I'm saying, I've got the wisdom. I've got the advice. I've got the things that are going to bring the light to your darkness. Here, take it from me. And the reality is that, that it doesn't work for those who feel like they're in darkness. The amazing thing about being a witness to the light, about being a mirror, about, about being the moon to the sun, is that we don't actually have to 
do anything other than position ourselves correctly to reflect the light into the darkness. When I was beginning to do visitation ministry, hospital visitation, homebound visitation, I um, was trained by our deacon visitation team, and, and they're amazing people. And I asked them, as they were training me, each one of them, I got to spend a little bit of time with each of them, what do you think is the most important aspect of visitation ministry? And every single one of them told me the same thing. They said, your presence matters more than anything else. The sheer fact that you are there with that person in their time of need is the most important thing about what you're going to do. That's true. I've, so many times I've walked into situations where I've been afraid about what I'm going to say, about whether, whether I'm going to be able to really minister to this person, whether I'm going to be able to bring light into the darkness. And every time I've remembered those words from that visitation team, I've remembered that all I've got to do is I've got to get myself in a position with this person where I can bear witness to the light where I'm not drawing attention to myself and, and the things that I have to offer, but I'm, I'm reflecting them, reflecting the light of Jesus into their lives, that they are going to see Jesus, that they're not going to see me. And I think this is a lesson we can learn, not just in visitation ministry, but, but in all aspects of our lives. When there are people in our lives who are hurting, who are in pain, and I know there are many people in that place at this time of year, We have the ability, simply by being present to them, if we have been present to Jesus, we have the ability to reflect the light of Jesus into their darkness. To bear witness to the light. To be, to them, the light of the world. And so, I want to ask, who do you know in this Christmas season who might need you to bear witness to the light Because they feel like they're in the darkness. Who do you know who is in a dark place? Maybe they're sick. Maybe maybe they're struggling with depression or anxiety. Maybe there's grief or loss that they've been through. Who, Who is it that God might be calling you to be present to in this season? In order to bear witness to the light of Jesus. The life light that can light up the darkness. And bring hope to those who so desperately need it. So as we begin this Christmas season. Let's remember that Jesus is the light in the darkness. He's the one who brings hope to those who are hopeless. He's the one who can pull people through that tunnel and out into the light. And you and I are not the light. We're not equal to Jesus, but just like John the Baptist, we are called to bear witness to the light and we have the privilege to do so, to position ourselves in such a way that we are present both to Jesus and present to others and to reflect his light into their lives. That's our call. That's who we are. That's what we get to do. In this season. Would you pray with me? Jesus thank you. That you 
made a way for us to enter into the presence of God. Thank you that anytime, anywhere, any place we can enter into your presence. And so, Lord, right now we choose to put ourselves in your presence. We choose to seek you. Lord, would you shine your light upon us? Lord, would our our faces be lit up with the radiance of, of your beauty, of your holiness, of your glory, of your life? And Lord, I pray that you would lead us to those around us who need to know light in their darkness. God, that you would Help us to position ourselves in such a way that that we reflect that light of Jesus into their lives. Lord, would you make us a blessing to those with whom we share our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name.